Welcome, everyone, to a Baseball America podcast. Along with J.J. Cooper, I'm John Manuel. Thanks so much for joining us here on the podcast. We apologize for a couple of weeks without a podcast sponsored by MLB Network. And reminding we had, you we had the college one. We had a few we had weeks since a professional. Ones. We had two we, college ones, J.J. But, but we, had a, we had a professional NL West uh, podcast that died twice. We had a computer die, and then the sound quality just was not Two lost suitable. podcasts, one with me and you, uh, one with you and Jim Callis. And Jim especially was waxing eloquent about the quality of the one that you guys did. And I know that you and I felt like we had a really good podcast in us. Unfortunately, the quality of the one that he and I did was maybe the uh, the, the the content was quality. The, uh, the sound about. was was not so much. And and Jim and, and JJ, that was also a pre Super Bowl podcast. So we know that your spirits are high. <laughs> so you, yeah. are, you are still here. And uh, that was also a pre UNC Duke game for me. So not quite the Super Bowl, but. Same week and the same genre, and uh, both of our teams on the wrong end of that. So, uh, but obviously, we're here more to talk a little bit about the prospect handbook and minor league uh, prospects as opposed to our other passions in our lives. But this is clearly a passion of ours, and if it's not a passion of yours, you really shouldn't work at Baseball America. Uh, lucky for us, it is, and we're going to touch base on the NL West, but then we're going to kind of give you a little working. Uh, we still have a working list of the top 100. Top 100 will be released officially. At BaseballAmerica.com, February 23rd. So whenever you're listening to this, February 23rd, which is day. a Wednesday, is Top 100 Day. We'll chat a lot that day as well. We'll, uh, I'm sure we'll tweet well, about podcast, it a lot as well. we'll, we'll it'll, be a, it'll be a show. Multimedia um, you know, uh, attack from Baseball America on the Top 100. Uh, the only Top 100 that really matters. But we do, uh, you know, the, the, we, ha- we should talk a little bit about the National League West. No one from the National League West is going to be at the top of the top 100 as far as like those jostling for those first couple of spots, JJ. But the top of the National League West for me remains really to me is the most fascinating division in in baseball because there's so much change from year to year. You have the team that really, just in terms of market, should dominate the division is the Dodgers, but they don't act like a big market team. Well, they because they don't have a big market owner. That's right. No, I mean, and they haven't ever since the McCourts took. Took control there, and now there's one McCourt running things. No, and well, but well, there's, there's also, no McCourt really. There's, there's, really, there's, there's a judge. A fight. I was going to say there's a judge right now that says that both McCourts have a rights to the. That's team. right. That's right. Um, so. And our own Bill Shaken, uh, longtime BA correspondent, one of the one of the correspondents who was around when I started at Baseball America in 1996, and still is around. Uh, he's done un- unbelievable coverage at the LA Times about the of the McCourt uh, divorce. But with that, you have your defending World Series champions with the Giants. Uh, the Diamondbacks have won a World Series in, in recent history. Obviously, a very different franchise now than what they were at that time. Uh, the Rockies have won a pennant recently. And the Padres have actually been the most consistent team as far as competing every year. The last five years, they're, they're, they're there just as often as anyone else, uh, losing on the last day of the season this year, falling just short of their second playoff you know, game 163 in three years. They're kind of like the twins of the, of the NL West. They'd love to play those, uh, compete for that game 163. But obviously they've changed a lot this offseason, J.J., so to me the whole division is fascinating, and I still think the Dodgers uh, you know, have, the, have had this run. The Dodgers and the Giants have had their success. They've had it's, – it's been a lot of homegrown success. The Dodgers, the core from that 2005 top 100, or 2006 Six, top 100. 2006. And that was that the record for most teams in the top 100 with nine? It's a tied with the uh, – it's tied with the Dodgers, the 91 Dodgers, for okay. the most uh, – Players in the top 100, eight. Okay, eight in the top 100 for the Dodgers that year. And then we also had uh, the Giants, and well chronicled how home, their homegrown pitching that led them, six homegrown pitchers on the staff 
in the World Series last year that you know were key to them winning the World Series. Um, so to me, this time of year and, and, and analyzing these teams' prospects uh, tells you a lot about what's going to happen in the future with their with their big league clubs as much as any division. It, it does, and I think no one's outspending anybody in this division. Is my point to a, to such a degree that it makes that much of a difference is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, took a round to bend the red, but that, yes. that's what you're trying to say is that no one. That you can tell it's been a few weeks since we podcasted. Homegrown is the uh, homegrown talent is, is important. We say that. And the interesting thing with that is it's like the 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 system that we look at as the best system out there among the uh, NLS teams is one that's not really homegrown talent. Right, right the Padres. And, and the the Padres would not be, I don't think, we, we had the Padres in our top ten as far as our org talent rankings for the Prospect Handbook. I, it's fair to say, I, it's easily fair to say, that you take away the, uh, the Adrian Gonzalez trade and they're not anywhere close to the top ten. Yeah, I don't, I don't think they were in the top ten. I mean, they but three of their top four prospects coming from the Red Sox in that trade. And then, they, you know, they have interesting guys after that. I think there's a pretty big split. You know, we have Jeff Decker, seven, Donovan Tate, eight in their list. Those two guys could not be more different. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> Jeff Decker, I mean, those guys are just 180 degrees from each other. The only things they have in common is they're both technically outfielders and they're both Padres. And I guess they're both human yeah, beings. And you know what? I, I know I'm not decrying tools at all, but because tools are important. Because really what you're talking about there is this Jeff Decker is a guy who's hit, who if you took the hit tool away, if you took his offensive tools away, Jeff Decker would not be a baseball player. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Although he, well, he might have been a pitcher. Might have been a pitcher, right. Like yes, sir. Excuse me. Might have, might, have, might have been a pitcher. But as a position, He's like a Terry Forster type pitcher. Though. But, but, <laughs> as a, but as an offensive player, you know, it, it, the value's all in the bat. Right. Oh, no, and no. then Donovan Tate is the antithesis of that right now. It, yeah, I mean, he never gets in the field, A, but when he does, I mean, he's so raw. So uh, offensively, and and with those being the case, I, I I'm again I'm not saying you know you don't take chances on high ceiling guys like that, but I will take the guy who's shown he can hit something. Yeah, I don't think it's a I think it's the the story there is that Jeff Decker is so close to Donovan Tate. Yeah, you know there'd be a chasm between a guy like Decker who had a terrible first half but then got hot when he was healthy um, at the Cal League last year, and then Tate who's barely got on the field. Uh, you know, was raw when he was drafted, and on top of that, he's had multiple injuries. He and had the broken jaw, he had the ATV accident. And you do have to worry about that because when you're talking about someone who was so raw, that I heard this talk when I was talking to someone uh, about uh, Tony Sanchez this year, and and it's not really nearly as important as Sanchez because he's a pretty polished player. Right. But the point that uh, I was talking to a manager or coach, and he said, you know, those those at bats he loses, those don't come back. You can you will. Get those at bats next year, but you would have had those at bats next year anyway. Right, and there's only so much you can do in instructional league. Right, and, and in the case of Tate, those at bats have gone away, and they're never coming back because now instead of it being something where he's going to be ready for low A as ideally a 19 year old, he's a 20 year old already. He's 20, and he's not ready for low A probably. It doesn't seem like he's ready for full season ball. This would be a pretty amazing spring. I, uh, you know, he'd have to have a, a, to me a huge spring to go to Fort Myer to Fort Wayne. Kind of an interesting uh, side note here. He's probably going to be a big project for Pat Murphy, the former Arizona State coach, now uh, helps run uh, extended spring for the Padres and will manage their short season team. I would expect that Donovan Tate would go to short season Eugene and play for Pat Murphy. But then you're, you're talking about your, when you talk about your concerns, you're saying if that happens, let's just map that out that that happens. We're talking that next year he'll be heading to low A as a 21-year-old. Right. 
And that's and, not what you paid six and a quarter million dollars for, really. And, I mean, and you can't get around the, the no, bonus. No, yeah. and that's not. That's not. I mean, and that's not. Uh, it's a lot of bad luck for him because there's been a lot of injuries involved in that. But that's not what you. You were not when you map it out. You don't say, "Hey, this tools the high school player that we drafted. We're expecting him to make full season ball in year three. Yeah. No, you're right. And let's face it, uh, he was not the consensus number three prospect in that draft. I mean, there were pe- teams were all over the board. All over, but most of them were like, "Wow, this guy wants this much money, and we don't see him as that kind of player." And the Padres had a very high upside, a high risk draft in 2009, and we loved them for it, for taking some of those risks with Everett Williams, Donovan Tate, Kiva Sampson. So far, they've had injury issues with Sampson and with Tate, and Williams had a pretty poor first pro season. So uh, just kind of amazing, I think, and a little ironic. That was the draft. I think that was the draft, uh, the, the the highest grade, or if we gave grades, that was the draft that we liked best under Chief Gaten's administration as scouting director in, in San Diego, and he lost his job after that one. Whereas other drafts where we thought, you know, really, Matt Bush, really, you know, um, weren't as panned as, as instantly. Uh, we didn't, we weren't instantly, well, we were instantly not high on Matt Bush. But uh, we thought that was a good draft in 2009, and the early returns have not been very, very hot. But the rest of their list, I think, is, is kind of interesting. But uh, you aren't going to see too many teams, like you said, that it's really not a homegrown Top right. ten when three of your top four guys come from outside the we, system. We do have a question before I'm going to jump in. Yeah, because no, good. We do We do have questions. Uh, we, we hit our, our Twitter page. And, at and Baseball America is the general address. And one of them, uh, and then I have one on the at John Manuel BA that refers to uh, Simone Castro. Uh, if you want, but well, I was going to go the first yeah. one. Is, the first one is how long before Anthony Rizzo is playing first base for the Padres on an everyday basis? And Rizzo is uh, pretty interesting because, you know, he's uh, his – Story off the field is pretty compelling. Coming back from was it non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, I believe, I was believe his, yeah. uh, uh, where he missed uh, most of a year, if not an entire year. But then he had a pretty huge year last year. Had a big it? year, and, and and really had leaped over. Uh, I think it's safe to say, oh, fair yeah, to say, Lars Anderson had leaped over Lars Anderson, who he'd always been kind of the the second first baseman prospect in the organization right. for the Red Sox. Right. And by the time he was traded away, you had to say that he was the first first base prospect in the in you know he was the top first base prospect in the Red Sox system not that the Red Sox you want to talk about a player who you can happily trade away in a deal right you, if you're getting Adrian Gonzalez you can absolutely if they wanted Lars Anderson too they could have probably had him and before that I mean with Kevin Euclid if they'd signed Adrian Beltre as a free agent right they would you have know, been, th- he would have been somewhat extraneous as well when you have Anderson ahead of you who the Red Sox still profess to have some hope for and then if Euclid is obviously now with Gonzalez gone a little bit more wide open in San Diego for Rizzo to to find a job. Yeah, whatever happened to Kyle Blanks? You know, that that's a guy who was on our top 100 a couple of years ago. I think Kyle Blanks is a guy who we had on the top 100 like you just could not deny his performance. I don't think we were ever you know 100% convinced that Kyle Blanks was the guy and then he, he's obviously had some injury issues in the last time we saw him in the major leagues. He was swinging and missing an awful lot. I think Kyle Blanks is ahead of him in the pecking order because if he has big league time. Right. You hope he gets healthy. But uh, clearly Anthony Rizzo was acquired to be a regular. He had 25 home runs last year. Now some of that I think is a little bit of a Portland mirage. Portland, uh, Maine has always had uh, a home run haven park. Because one year back in the day uh, when they were a Marlins affiliate and Mark Kotze played there and they have I think six guys at 20 home runs, including Kevin Millar and John Ruskos. Uh, R-O-S-K-O-S. I'm sure it was Greek-American, but I never quite asked him that. Days before email, I didn't dash off an email to every player. Hey, wait a minute. Are you Greek? 
<laughs> but I would have, I'm sure. But I'd had, if I'd had email in 1997, if he had. Um, I think Anthony Rizzo is going to be their starter, but not in 2011. I think 2012 is reasonable, though, J.J. He'll well, go I to AAA Tucson, their new Tucson affiliate this year. And, and Seems like one full year of uh, you know matriculation in AAA. And if he has a good year, the next year he's a cheap, low-cost, let's see what he's got kind of guy. I think that's I think that's pretty fair to say. I wouldn't really disagree with you on that. He that's also, you know, had the best defensive tool in the uh, – he won best defensive first baseman in the Eastern League, and that was despite the fact that he made 11 errors in the Eastern League, and I think he made 15 for the year. Um, so he got a little sloppy defensively last year, but, you know, the managers and scouts we've talked to think that the defensive tools are there for him to be a uh, – the ability is there for him to be a very skilled and, and above-average defensive first baseman. Yeah, what are I, other uh, questions we we have on the on the Twitter? I, I was going to go back. I was trying to find uh, Bluegart. Uh, Bluegart, who's uh, been a steady Twitter uh, contributor for both my feed and for J- uh, at Jim Callis BA. And by the way, if you're not already following at JJ Coop 36, correct? Yes, that is correct. And I'm at John Manuel BA, and I'm desperately trying to catch back up to Aaron Fit. In the last two college podcasts, Sorry. we had quite a Twitter battle. Sorry, but uh, I think with college season that you're you're gonna. I don't know. We'll see. I'm right there with Aaron, so I feel like I think I think think this is a good time for him, though. To it is. I I tweet about college baseball. College baseball followers out there. No, I know, but he is. I think he's going to tweet a bit more about college baseball. I'm just going to go out on a limb and say that. Bluegart's question, if we're not finding it, was regarding the lining up top pitching prospects in the National League West, and without using our top 100 to cheat off of uh, JJ, which we both participated in our top 100. Uh, you, your your options here are Jared Parker, uh, number one prospect with Arizona, Tyler Matzik, number one with the Rockies, but he also wanted us to factor in Christian Friedrich, who's number four on that Rockies list. Um, I don't believe he had us factoring any of the Dodgers because they're so much further away, but then Casey Kelly with San Diego and, and Zach Castro. Wheeler. And, and he said S. Perez, which I assume he meant Simon Castro, but I right. could be wrong. Yeah, but there's no S. Perez that I can see. I don't think Salvador Perez, the Royals catcher, is part of this. But but. I don't think so either. And then Zach Wheeler for the Giants. I think it's amazing, J.J. It's smart, but it's amazing the Giants really don't have a treasure trove of pitching prospects. That's what we've been used to for but you a decade. Know what? But they don't need it. Right. I was going to say they just graduated another part of the treasure trove last year. Right, and right. they've been graduating about one part of the treasure trove at least every other year for the last Seems six, like so yeah, six they or really seven. They have no need to have a depth of pitching prospects. And it always never is a bad thing because you never know what inj- when injuries are going to crop up. But that being said, yeah, I mean they have two pitchers in their top ten, and uh, besides Zach Wheeler, the other guy is, is Eric Sturkamp, who's like a soft toss on lefty. I mean I think that's actually smart of the Giants. I think we agree it's a well, smart move for them not to, uh, to to try to focus a little bit more on developing hitters. Uh, it makes a lot of sense for them. And, their past approaches worked, though, is why I'm surprised they deviated from it. Well, I don't know if they – I mean, I don't – again, I don't know if you necessarily say they've deviated from it as much no, as – I think they have, though. At the top of their drafts, with the exception of Zach Wheeler, they've gone hitter heavy. I mean, like a guy like Carter Jerica right. was not well, – who's a third-rounder. He was not a, a, a premium guy for other teams. I guess the best way to say I mean, – I guess you want to call that deviating. I could – I would – you could say also that they were – trying to fix a problem they had right, right. as much as deviating. It's not because like, they've also gotten a lot of pitching in later rounds. That's true, too. They haven't, it hasn't always been. They've hit on there a lot of first-rounders. That's true, but too. But they also have the Jonathan Sanchez's of the world. Just to so, me, when you bring it, when, when they changed scouting directors and John Barr took over the draft from Dick Tidrow, obviously Tidrow's still there, I think there was a pretty clear delineation that with John Barr, they've, got, they've gone a little more hitter-heavy 
and tried harder and done better at developing his. Right, which they have to because the reality is is that if you want to say what part of what they did last year to win the World Series I think is sustainable, the pitching they had is very sustainable. Pitching and Posey. (laughs) That's about it. If you ask what part is very hard to recreate, it's saying, hey, we're going to go out and get these veterans coming off of poor seasons and we'll figure out each, which ones of them are going to have great years this year? Yeah, absolutely. It's That's a, a little harder to do. And I don't, I don't blame them for the kind of keeping the status quo this off season. You know, not a lot of big splash moves over there. Uh, replacing Juan Uribe with Miguel Tejada, I guess, is like their biggest move. But but so getting back though, who do you have as the best pitching prospect in the uh, NL West? That's a tough question. I guess I have. I'm still buying on the upside of Tyler Matzik, so I have him tops. But uh, I'll tell you. Um, I don't know what to think of Jerry Parker. I know he had, I know he threw well in instructional league, but this is just a guy who he's not a big physical guy. Um, you know, he throws a lot of pitches. He's been, you know, he, he's just not a big guy. He's a strikeout guy, so he's, gonna, he's never going to be a pitch efficient guy. I just worry about Jerry Parker. So even though he's much further along than Tyler Matzik, and I understand that his upside is just as high as Tyler Matzik's. I still go with the younger, the the left-hander. If, if there's a tie, I'll go, I'll go to the, right. the left-hander and Matzik. But I can, I can see why people would say Jared Parker. For some reason, I'm not, not quite there on him as I might be on other Tommy John survivors. I, I could say I could see it too. I could see where I could see where you're coming from on Parker. At the same time, if you wanted to buy low on Parker, this is the time to you know to buy right. low on him. I mean, right. if you were rewinding this a couple of years and said, okay, this is Cal Drabeck, which not you know maybe not the best comp in the world, but Parker's got a better arm, but what I'm saying is, is that yeah. when, when Drayback was coming off of that, you know, his surgery, uh, it was something where there was a little less kind of notice, a little less mention going on about him. That's and, true. I think with I think that's, I think that's a, not a bad analogy. There are a lot of Tommy John guys who do, do come back fine, and certainly Jerry Parker has come back fine as far as, far as his stuff goes. You know, he apparently, if you believe what you read, um, it sounds like he's got a shot to. Uh, he's he's being given a shot to win a job of some kind in Arizona out of spring. Out of spring, how is that possible? Well, I always take those with a grain of salt because you never tell a player. You very rarely tell a player, "Hey, you're just showing up here, but we're right. just letting you see the scenery, and then you're going away." But I mean, this is of all guys, you're going to tell this is the guy. You would no, tell I, that too. No, I understand. Like, Hasn't pitched a half a season at Double A and yeah, but, missed all of last season. But at the same time, it's also very easy to kind of dangle the carrot out in front of him and then. Unless he doesn't allow happens. a hit during the you know spring right. training, you say okay, well we we need a little while longer here. Well, he, I mean he, his upside's always been he's always been likened to Jake Peavy throughout his career, a uh, very similar player, um, and, and that that's pretty nice. That, that would be pretty nice upside if he has that kind of career, even with Peavy always having been, uh, you know, uh, kind of on the on the cusp of the good not great, and he's had a he had a, I think an ERA title. Did he win a Cy Young? Uh, Jake Peavy, I don't remember I don't if he think, won a Cy I Young. I, I, off the top of my head, I'm not, you know, I should right. know that off the top of my head, but I'm, I, I don't want to, I don't want to so. misspeak and we don't, say. we don't obsess over the awards here unless they're our own, so we really don't. Uh, I can tell you, he never won uh, Baseball America Player of the Year. I can promise you that. Jake Peavy has not won our Player of the Year award, but uh, that, that Diamondback system, JJ, as we as we're naming Parker and Matzik as the top two guys there, I would take Friedrich uh, and Simone Castro as the next two guys. Uh, that's a tough choice. I think I'd go Castro. But the wild card in all this is Zach Wheeler. He, no, has, I was say, that's, he yeah, has a Zach, huge ceiling, but he really didn't do much last year. As a, it was an, it was a very interesting uh, first full season. Right. Well, he, it was a very sporadic first full season too. He had some some 
And when you say injury problems, injury problems is almost stretching it too far. He had more like fingernail issues right. and things like that that were that. But he had some command problems at times. He, you know, he only threw 59 innings for the entire season. And so, he walked 38 and, in that span. Right, and, and he had outings that were great, and he had outings that were just ugly. It's hard. To, it's hard for me to do this, but I think you need to do this when you evaluate Zach Wheeler is to separate him from his draft class. I lump him in. Okay, 2009 first round pick. Shelby Miller, Jacob Turner, Tyler Matzik. Right. And if you do that, he looks awful. Yeah, especially compared to Miller or Turner. You know, Turner had a really nice year, got the high, high A. a yeah, and then Shelby Miller year. struck out 140 guys in 100 innings for the Cardinals in low A and really looked like kind of the guy who set the really break out in 2011. And Zach Wheeler is clearly behind those guys, even though he was drafted ahead of them at the time. So, But at the same time, there was nothing in his season. He showed the same stuff. He showed right. – Flashes of dominance. So swing and miss stuff when you right. strike out so, 70 guys. So you could also say, hey, this year he could very easily you could turn around half midway through the season and say he's right there with them. I think he has as much or more projection than any of those guys. There's still something there as far as you, there's a gap between what he is and what he's going to be. But it's furthest for him. This is why high school pitchers are a uh, a risky but wonderful commodity. That's right, and the the Giants. My money's on the Giants. They usually it. figure out how to get those. The ninja will figure it out. One day he'll appear behind. <laughs> he'll appear behind Zach Wheeler. He'll have some strange tincture that he comes up with. <laughs> sprinkle it on that cracked fingernail. Heal it up, and and, and awful Zach Wheeler will go. Um, but my, I also want to say on these pitching prospects. To me, the the Dodgers have some of the most intriguing ones because Chris Withrow and Ethan Martin. It wouldn't shock me if those two guys figured it out. And if one of them figured it out and really took off. Also, wouldn't shock me if neither of those guys ever made it to the big league. Right. I mean, that's that's the that's the big question, and the reality of it is, is that that Dodgers list. Looking at it, there's a lot of guys on that list that you could say something very similar about that. Yeah, Ruby De La Rosa. I mean, one of the hardest throwers in the minor I, league. I, lo- right? I love Ruby De La Rosa. I think uh, out of our now, I'm letting a little cat out of the back here. Out of our top 100 pit players, Ruby De La Rosa has the lowest signing bonus on the entire list at $15,000. A little research tidbit for Ben Badler, Master of International Signings Information. Well, but Ruby, Ruby De La Rosa for fifteen grand is pretty good. Well, and I've made this point before, but the Dodgers' top ten, their number, De La Rosa is number three, Alan Webster is five, Jerry Sands six. That's right. $40,000 for the three of them. Yeah, and Alan Webster, uh, that's another one of those young, uh, high upside pitching prospects that I'm a fan of. And a little tidbit about the area scout there, Alon Joyce, who signed both Alan Webster and Jerry Sands. He was a ju- uh, junior college coach at Spartanburg Methodist. Uh, he coached Reggie Sanders there, among other players. So he's had his hands in scouting and player development for a long time, and he's pretty good at it. So when his name's on a player, that's a good name to have on a player. Um, JJ, a couple, like we just mentioned, Ruby De La Rosa's on the back of our top 100. We won't give away where. Let's transition from the NLS into our top 100. So, um, like we said, we'll have another podcast about right, this is the divulging. this is how's the sausage made kind of right. part of the top hundred. Next week we will have the okay the top hundreds out. Let's explain some of our more uh, contentious points that we you know what players did we discuss for the longest that kind of thing. But yeah, I mean, and this was your first top one hundred meeting, correct? Right. Your first I, time putting together your own prelim one fifty. And then being there for the it's, actual It's funny, I've, I've been here now for, this is year eight. Eight years, yeah. Yeah, this is year eight. But this was the first year that I actually, I've done a lot of web stuff. I've done a lot of the, you know, well, I'm not going to say indie stuff. That's just a little 
But you've gathered a lot of the but, information that goes into it, right? Well, but but I never, but I've, I've never, uh, I've never been really as far as the talking to scouts, all that. That was never a primary enough part of my job where I felt like that my 150 was going to have enough of a perspective to do it. Right. And this year it's like, okay, I have done enough during the year and all where I feel like that I can put a 150 out there that I can defend and, and feel comfortable about. And that's it, it, it's something where. I think, you know, if you're hearing this and listening to it and going, oh, you know, well, that wouldn't be that hard to do, sit down and try to put together a, a personal 150. It's it's very <laughs> it's very involved. It is uh, not as easy as it seems, especially when you're uh, when you're getting past 50 or 60 this year. For me, it was around 40, 45 this year. Uh, there's just not a lot of difference in those, two, those kinds of players. You can either go all upside or you can go – a little less upside and, and try to be more conservative about it, or you can try to mix the two together. I, I kind of try to mix the two, and I kind of have like when I go for my 50, my top 50, toward the end of my 50, I try to go upside to squeeze those into the handbook. And then 51 to 60, 51 to 75 or so, that's usually a little bit more conservative list. Oh. But then the back of my 100, again, is more upside guys with, right. with rare exceptions like a Brett Morrell. Uh, and there's thing there's certain things that's funny, but we did our uh, our dream draft last year, which I thought was a wonderful exercise. That, that was fun as well. That where we basically had everyone, the staff, kind of get together and we just picked teams from the top. But really, we picked like the top 300 prospects. It was like picking your own farm system. Like right. You're starting with your club and you pick a farm system. And and there are certain things I, I did with that that I that I kind of carry over when I was doing my personal 150 to take in, which one of the things is, is and I think you agree with me on this, is I believe in the – when I'm talking about pitchers, I believe in the fastball. Yeah. And yeah. It, when it comes down to it, if I'm looking at two pitchers and one of them has a plus fastball or a plus-plus fastball and the other one's an average fastball, I'm generally going to go with the guy with the plus fastball, Pretty especially – you know, again, when we're talking about Ruby De La Rosa, Ruby De La Rosa is a, a ceiling pick. There's no yeah, doubt about no that. Doubt. But I think I was one of the highest in the office on him because he throws 100 miles an hour. He throws 100 miles an hour. Time, yeah. And the reality of it is, is that not that every guy who throws 100 miles an hour works out, but you know what? You're he's got a little you're, wiggle room there. You're, yeah, your your little your little safety net under you is a little a little a little better when you're you know when you throw 100. If you throw 100 and you lose a little velo, no big deal. If you throw 100 and your command doesn't really come together, okay, so you just end up being that scary guy in the bullpen. Right, exactly. Whereas if you throw 91 and you lose a little velo, you're probably not making the big leagues. If you yeah. throw 91 and you your command wavers some. Especially if you're right-handed. Yeah, Jim Callis and I were talking today, and he said there's a scouting director who insists to him all the time that the average fastball velocity of a big league left-hander is 88 miles an hour. Now, I haven't looked that up. I'm sure that that's not true anymore now that – Bull, when you factor in bullpitting, but maybe for a major league and, starting. And it's also not true. The interesting thing is that this is a story I want to do at some point this year. Um, you know, throw out topics that I'll try to work on this year. Okay. But the guns have changed. So when you say 88 before, are you talking about because Stalker came out with a new, more precise gun that registers about a mile an hour faster. That's all on where you measure it coming out of the hand. And they, they keep measuring it closer and closer out of the hand because they keep getting more precise. And so with that, it's one to two miles an hour faster. And the, so the interesting thing with that is is that there are teams that on their scouting reports, they had, you have to make the notation which gun you're which using, gun you're using hmm. because you want to compare apples to apples. And if you're, if you're scouting a guy with the new gun and then someone else is scouting with the old gun, well, 
then you're not comparing apples to apples. So yeah, we have one of each. We have right. one of the new, we have one new stalk one new stalker and one old stalker. So. Right. And so that's another thing that but so with that, I mean even if it was eighty eight before now it's like eighty nine. Right. No one's using the jugs anymore. I don't not to my knowledge. You They're, still see, you still see it, jugs. but it's not but it's 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 a lot more stalker now, definitely. I think the stalker has become the industry uh the industry uh standard has become the stalker too, which is also the one that gives you the uh exit velocity off the bat. Which will be fascinating to watch this year with the new metal bats in college baseball. That's one thing I'll be watching. Velocity's going to go down on when this. I, when yeah. I when I go to a college game, I don't I don't usually use the radar gun, but when I go, I'll be looking this year. This is a, a little aside. Obviously, we're talking about radar guns, but the exit velocity is always fascinating to watch on this. But but no, I, I that's so there, you think like that you you look at and and so what we do is I think we had what six top six people submitted this year with with uh, Matt Eddy. Submitting more of a hundred, and then but he's knee deep in uh, super register right now. Right, so he, but Matt's also is kind of a novel approach. I won't give away Matt's approach, but Matt's approach was a little bit different from the rest of ours. And he said, spelled it out like, "Hey, here's I'm going to try this." And right, right. But, it's kind of almost a formula, really. But so what we did then is you take those six 150s and you put them together, and Jim Callis takes them and puts them in a spreadsheet, and you essentially get. You know, a hundred. You how do you want to put it? But 150 points for one. Yeah, 151 points. I think was what it was. And then, and it goes down to your 150th guy gets you a point. Yeah. So, so we had uh, 191 players, I believe, receive votes, I think which so. is also kind of fascinating. Um, that's one of my favorite exercises is just to see just who got votes. Um, how many Royals did you vote have in your 150, JJ? Was it 12? I think it 13? was 12 in my 150. 13, I think uh, I think Collins. it ended. I think Collins was the last one in my one. So he was your thirteen. That's, that would have been thirteen, yeah, yeah, because I had Eibner, I had Aaron Crow, um, yeah, so that would have been Jeffress was in there. So. I don't remember how many those guys I wound up ranking. I know I came close to ranking almost as many Braves actually, because I do like the Braves pitching depth, and I ranked a decent amount of Rays as well. Um, and I did not. Uh, I got into my one thirties or one forties before I ranked the Brewer. No offense, Mark Rogers. Uh, great interview. He'd be my top hundred interviews, no, no doubt. Um, he's getting a workout this off season with interviews uh, when it comes to being the Brewers and his comeback and all that kind of stuff. But um, I don't think there's a lot of surprises in our top 100, well, JJ. But I do think that one of the things that's interesting is the Royals are making a pretty strong run at that all-time record. Oh. And we've talked about this before in the off season. Pretty easy call. They are number one. But I guess the best thing about all their guys who are top 100 guys is they're all toward the top. Right. And that's one of the things that – well, we'll give credit to a, a report that came out today. I've been reading uh, Scott uh, McKinney, yep. who does some posting kind of all around, but one of the main places he posts over is at Royals Review. And he did a study of essentially taking our, our top 100 from 1990 to 2003, I think right. it was, right. and looking at it. And one of the things that jumped out, he was looking at success rate compared to guys who don't make it and, and things like that, and is that there's a pretty – big distinction between a guy in the top 20 compared to a guy in the top 40. And then there's not nearly as much distinction between a guy who's safe number 41 versus a hundred compared right. to the difference between guy number 40 and guy number one, which is fascinating to read just because having just done this, that Jim fits Callis exactly said, what I think. It fits exactly what I think. And it also fits like, what Jim says going into it always is like, you know, cause we were working on, it, he asked me, have you started working on your 51 to 150 yet? Because we all did, the three of us had done 50s for the book. I said, not yet. And he was like, ah, don't waste too much time on it. It's like, you know, make sure you get the right names, but the order is just lot. not that big of a difference. Well, he, he wanted to stress, like, make sure you just get the right players. 
and don't sweat the order too much. And then we did do some and we sweat, and then the, in the meeting. When we get in the meeting, we sweat the order very right. significantly. And what we a lot of what ends up happening is, is you look at it and it's like, okay, we had this group. And again, I'm not going to get a name yet. We'll discuss that. In a, yeah. But we had this group of middle infielders. Right. And you would be comparing guys. It's like, okay, this guy's got a good bat, but he's probably going to have to move to second. He's shortstop now. you got this guy over here who can really play it, you know, pick it defensively. Well, There's questions about the short. bat. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you had all that kind of stuff. And you've got to, okay, now let's order this. Or is that guy, is this catcher really 10 spots better or 20 spots better than this exactly. guy? Exactly. We do. I mean, we, we – Sweat the nitty gritty on that. It's once it's once that spreadsheet comes out that we really get into the the details and we start getting granular about it. Right. But that being said, the interesting thing about it was is that that top twenty flew by. It really does every year. We you, you know there might be individual differences of opinion here or there, but in general, that top twenty to twenty five are guys you can live. That's an order you can because live with when the, it gets average. Because the top twenty to twenty five guys are the guys who have great tools. Yeah. Combined with excellent performance, right? And combined with generally, they're either almost like considered one of the best prospects to come out in years, or they're a guy who's in usually who's done it in full season ball. It's either it's either guys exactly guys who've done it in full season ball, or guys who are maybe one of the top three, four, five players in the previous year's draft. And it depends from draft to draft. And with last year's draft, it was almost a, a slam dunk. There are going to be three guys: uh, Machado, Tyone, and Harper, of course. We were going to rank really high on the top 100, and after that, it was anybody's guess: a) who would be the next ranked guy on our top 100, and b) how high that player would rank. Right. And I, but I think that's fascinating. Once you take those guys out of it, really, pretty much everyone else in the top 20 is a guy who you can say has, uh, to use a bad term, but has earned their spot there because right. they combine tools. Because you can't get in the top 20 without tools. Yeah. But they've combined tools with performance. Yeah, and Jeff those Decker, are the guys. Jeff Decker need not apply. And that right there, that's that's why. And I'm not surprised at all to see that, you know, if you look back historically over our, lat, you know, from 1990 to 2003, that that was, so much, that that was true, that the top 20 guys hit a lot more often, and they become stars a lot more often. Right. Well, that makes sense. Because there's one, the guy with the biggest tools. Yeah, no and, and one of the things that, I mean, we understand the, the importance. When, again, when we get into that meeting, it's a it's a pretty detailed meeting, partly because we know – Baseball America has been putting out a top 100 now for this will be twenty-second year. the 22nd top 100 we've done. It's hard to believe. It, there's you, You've gotten to a point now where there are very few players left in baseball from the yeah, first who, one. Who would have come up? Yeah, the first one. I'm, I don't think there's anybody left because uh, that was the year before Chipper was drafted. I was going to say that's the before Chipper. So is 89 draft guys. I mean, King Griffey Jr. was 87 draft, just retired. 89, Ben McDonald is the defining member of that draft, obviously long gone. I'm sure there are other 89 players who last one, but 1990 was Fred, uh, Frank Thomas. I bet you I'm going to find at least someone. Uh, that's my, my – That'll my be fascinating. One of the other parts of this, uh, as JJ's looking that up, as we're trying to ask, answer our own question, um, but, you know, we've done other features the last few years. You talked about the dream draft. We've done the split decisions. We've done risk factors. One of the things that uh, I almost wish I had done this before – I did my top 150 was looking at risk factors, and you're trying to find comparable players. You know, for a guy like, say, uh, an Aaron Hicks, he's a top 100 player, was number one prospect for the Twins for two years. This year moved down to number two. And you're trying to find someone like an Aaron Hicks who repeated low class AJJ. I had to go back 20 years, through 20 years of top 100 history, to find a player 
who was ranked in our top 100 the year after he repeated low class A for a full season. Um, and I already mentioned him in this podcast. Reggie Sanders uh, was the last guy who did that. And uh, finding a lot of other guys who had repeated low class A, but we didn't rank them as top prospects after repeating low class A. Guys like Mike Cameron, uh, Chris Young, who were top 100 prospects later. Um, Preston Wilson was another guy who I think actually had repeated low A and been, been ranked, but a very different player from Aaron Hicks. Now he was hacktastic as opposed to Aaron Hicks who draws a lot of walks. So. Um, um, the answer I, I to like that, the risk factors. The answer to that question is on first glance is no. There's no one left from our original top 100 who's still uh, – very recently there have been. But How about Atlantic League? Any Atlantic Leaguers in oh. that list? Jose Offman, I think, is no longer in the Atlantic League. Uh, Canseco, no. Obviously, De- really for the big we, we have deceased players who are on our top. Uh, Greg Vaughn, whose son uh, did not get mentioned in this year's top Delano De Shields, whose son is in you – know, we have not. a lot of son- – we have more sons than we do. But yeah. Frank Thomas recently retired, but – is obviously no longer playing. Larry Walker recently retired, no longer. A lot of minor league coaches. A lot of minor league coaches. A (laughs) lot of minor league coaches. Lico Uh, Bronia, who just uh, was farm director for like two weeks for the Diamondbacks this offseason, has already done some scouting. Eric Karos, you're a fair-haired broadcaster. But no, it, it does appear that there's no one left from the original Baseball America Top 100 who's still... Still kicking around. Uh, uh, Tyler Houston, awesome. Yeah, Russ, Russ Springer, I was going to say, Russ Springer's no longer. Uh, he just retired this offseason. Off that would have been the last he was, one. He, he was, was the last guy. Russ Springer, number 96 on Shut that. Shut the light, Russ Springer. I, t- I say technically, yeah, he retired after after Thomas and all, so yeah, he would have been the. Yeah, because it was just this offseason that he had uh, decided not and to come back is, for And that training. is fascinating. That I know it's 22 years, and 22 years is a long time, but. We can, again, we can rank guys. There are guys who are ranked who are four or five years away from the big leagues. So that's still, that's... Yeah, absolutely. But uh, that's one of the things that I found is in this uh, track record of ranking guys who repeat low A, guys who start slow, not a lot of those guys in the history of the top 100. Also, not a lot of guys who've repeated, who are two-year rookie ball guys like uh, uh, Donovan Tate might be. Not a lot of those guys who've been I top hundred guys. Makes, Donovan Tate. I think that makes guys. sense because, or guys like a Michael Anoa who, you know, we you know we fed some of the Michael Anoa hype. I think four point two five million dollars feeds that hype. What was he number fifty four the year that he got that money? He was he's in the hundred. Oh, we have to admit the track record on those guys is not good. Yeah, that's correct. If you say track record on ranking a Latin player who has yet to play pro ball. We got a lot of money. I don't know that we ever ranked any of those guys in the top 100 before, to be honest with you, who had never played and gotten a lot of money. I don't think we even ranked. Yeah, but I'm thinking back to the, maybe not before they play, but I'm thinking back to the Jose Pets. I'm thinking back to the uh, uh, Jose Pet. Who ranked uh, Noah before he ever played? Right. No, I know, but Pet was ranked pretty quickly. Uh, Who was the outfielder who played for the... Reds for a while, Yankees. Oh, Jackson Malion. Jackson Malion was ranked pretty. I don't think he was in the top hundred of the year that he signed. Um, I'm sure he was in. What year is that that you found him? Because he signed in 1996. This is 2000, so he was in. Was he in the 97 list? Let's see here. Sorry, I know this is fat. 97 list. He was there. He was number 40. Wow. Well, that that, six million dollars was the reason why. I mean, that was the biggest signing bonus. Almost like it almost doubled, I think, the largest but international signing bonus. The, the track record on that, and hey, you know, I I can defend that. In that, at the same time, while the track record is not good, 
just think you are it. ranking a combination. <clears throat> One of the ways to put it when we do a top hundred is every team does this differently, but teams when they rank are not always necessarily ranking. It's it's that combination of ceiling and floor, and different teams weight that differently. Right, right. But we're not necessarily always ranking. It's not just here are the guys who are most likely to make it to the big leagues and be solid big leaguers. There's a guy who may not make it but has more value because teams are willing to take that gamble on right. the possibility of being an all-star. Teams want all-stars, not solid seventh-inning relievers. Yeah, and Malion was a, you know, he got $400,000 less than the first overall pick in that draft, Chris Benson. I mean, that, that was a lot of money back then. So, I mean, I, it's a lot of money now. It was a lot of money back then. And I think it just tells you uh, how outsized for the market that signing was. And uh, I did not remember that he ranked that high, though, in the top 100 this did, first year. As someone who's been in those meetings many, many years now. Only was six, this a, actually. Only oh. six years. I, I was never in before I was editor-in-chief. I was always the college guy, remember, so I was yeah. never allowed in. I was a college guy. I was too busy. Well, over those six years, yeah. over those six years, was this one of the easier ones? Did you think, or no? Actually, I think it was one of the tougher ones because there was uh, more dispute, and there were more groups of players. Like you said, those middle infielders. Um, those definitely also, middle infielders, catchers. Yeah, and also this year's draft class was lackluster. So some of the players who we talked about, including like Yasmani Grandal or Zach Cox. I don't remember if all these guys made it in. Um, who was the uh, – or, or Zach Lee, Drew Pomeranz, Anthony Renato, those kind of guys, your top picks plus your guys who get the largest signing bonuses. Those are really touchy guys of how to rank. Uh, there's not, there was not a lot of consensus. People who are involved with the draft, like Jim and like me, are generally going to, I think, rank those guys higher than maybe other people right. in the Right, like I was – yeah, for instance, than me. Right, uh, right. In, in a lot of those guys – there is somewhat a feeling on my end. Obviously, I know a little. I've not been talking to scouts about them right. all leading up to the draft. That would help me kind of feel more in touch with them. But at the same time, with the non, with the guys who have some clear flaws, I think that I, I'm more likely to put them a little lower, saying, "Okay, let's see something." Well, like on the risk factors, I'm going to end up doing this for my next column. You know, I tried to find another college hitter who had similar power numbers as Zach Cox. I don't, I don't mean to be all mad Eddie about it, but the guy had like a 180 isolated power in college in 2010. And that's the Southeastern Conference, and he hit 429. I mean, he didn't just – it wasn't like an ISO, a low ISO on a 330 batting average. He stung the ball all year. He just was really more of a singles and doubles guy. I mean, I think he only had like 11 doubles um, to go with his nine home runs. But a 610 slugging percentage on a 429 batting average – that just really struck me, and I went through first-round picks and top 100 prospect college hitters. For like the last 10 years, J.J., I, I didn't want to go before 1998 because that's this when the bats different bat. changed. Yeah, different that's a different bats, bat. Different stats. Back then, I was going to say, back then, if you didn't have an ISO power. Back of, then, uh, I could have had a 180 <laughs> ISO power with my bat speed. So, I mean, so. You're saying and you have a slow pull. That, that's what I'm saying. So, so Zach Cox, uh, you know, the guys who I found who had similar ISO powers and were high draft picks were guys like Cliff Pennington and uh, Russ Adams, guys who stole a lot more bases or played the middle of the diamond. And Zach Cox is at a corner. And, uh, you know, that's a leap of faith for me that I wasn't 100% ready to take. Jim Callis, meanwhile, really believes strongly in Zach Cox's bat. And there's good reason to do that. He hit a lot of ho- he hit a lot a lot of home runs as a freshman. He hit a lot of home runs as a and freshman. And he did in the hit 429. And then he hit 429 in the SEC last year. I mean, 
He's been on the big stage. He played in Omaha as a freshman. Uh, he, people liked him out of high school. I think one of Jim's points was that when he was in high school, not Jim, Zach Cox, that Zach Cox was our number two or number three. When Jim was his. in high school, Zach Cox was not born. That's right. <laughs> yes. Sad news for Jim. But when Zach Cox was in, coming out of high school, I think he was number two or number three. I forget what it was on our best power among the high school class that year. So he's, you know, scouts have always thought the powers there. This is not Sean Burroughs where he's never even flashed the power. And I, I'll say this, Sean Burroughs, Sean Burroughs, it's fair to say that He's whenever, when, a whenever, whenever a scout now says, oh, the power will come, Sean you, you can't <laughs> help, but you have to think in your head, well, that was, you know, Sean Burroughs, that power never, you know, never it even, stayed missing. It never flashed. It was a... Now, at the same time, the other guy that you have to, t- if you track back not long after that, Joe Maurer was, will the power come? And it's like, and Scott he was. Said, will it, the power come? So far, and it only came for one year. It come for one year. But he also was a batting champion three times. So who cares how much power the guy hits for, really? Well, and he's a gold glove catcher. Who, yes, but, on top of that. But the power has shown some flashes of coming, too, because he did have an MVP, you know, an MVP yeah, caliber some, season where he hit 24 home runs. And, yeah, 40-some doubles as well. Right. I mean, the guy's just a pure – he's a pure hitter and a more of a pure hitter than – and Zach Cox, or any of these guys we're talking about. But yeah, I mean, you're, you're talking about. Uh, so that was a that was a tough one for me to rank. And so there's that difference. You have the draft differences, I think, that are going to come up. You know, sometimes when you rank an organization, for example, I rank the Yankees prospects higher than other people did this year. Um, you know, it just happens. I'm not a Yankees fan, uh, but, but I've done there. I, I like their farm system right do. now, and I'm more bullish on it. Uh, than Jim or than Will Kimmy, or Will Kimmy, Will Lingo, or, or than I think anyone else on the staff is. Well, and but also there's things we also try. To, one of the things we try to do is, is look and compare guys. One of the again, I will bring up one other kind of. We'll get into specifics a little bit at least mm-hmm. when we went into the meeting. There was Manny Machado and Gary Sanchez. Yeah. And we both are kind of on the same side on this in that. We don't see a whole lot of separation between those two. If I'm you, not saying that Machado shouldn't be higher. I'm pretty sure I ranked right. Machado higher. But the key word is, is I don't think we either of us thought there should be a giant separation. Yeah, and uh, you know Machado, their, their ages are similar. They both play premium positions. They're both offensive players. And they're both considered tool, you know, yeah, tool have, sheds. Yeah, absolutely. And I can see Machado ranking higher. But you know, Gary Sanchez, Machado got six million dollars, whatever he got. Well, Sanchez got three on the international market. It's a pretty high bonus. Which three on the international market is the equivalent of like five on the and U.S. It's, yeah, it's one of the it's one of the top five bonuses in the history of international signing bonuses. So among amateurs anyway, you're not mm-hmm. talking about Japanese right. or Cubans. Like, uh, and I think that's actually one thing that's interesting. That uh, I'm pretty sure JJ, if you look at our entire top 100, uh, because of his 16 plus million dollar bonus, Aroldis Chapman helps skew the uh, the average signing bonus. But I think the whole top 100 is over a million dollars. Which is kind of startling. I think it's close to a million dollars. It may even be. I'd be interested what the median is on that. Yeah. Yeah, I think, but I think actually it's fifty guys on our top 100 got one million or more. Okay, so the median. And below, and fifty got below a million dollars, which is kind of fascinating as well. And he's right at fifty on that top 100. But um, but yeah, but Sanchez Machado, that was a that was a difference, uh, an argument that we lost, <laughs> mind yeah. you, um, on that they should be closer together than they were. Um, but to me, they're pretty similar prospect profiles as far as. Age again up the middle, offense and, potential. And, and the thing with that is, is you can argue it both ways. You can I think argue. Machado will be a better defender at short than Sanchez will be a catcher. But I think Sanchez can stay behind can, the plate. And if you wanted to, you can argue. You can say, hey, the the track record with big bonus Latin players who are still very young in their career. Mm-hmm. I mean, Sanchez is very early in his career. Basically, played. I know he came up, but essentially, spent 
the season of the GCL. Right. Is not very good. You know, ranking those guys too aggressively is not very good. Yeah, for every Jesus Montero, there's a, you know, Joel Guzman. At the same time, though, you don't want to say, I think both of us looked at it and said, okay, yes, you know more about Manny Machado because he was in the U.S., but not light years more. Gary Sanchez has had a full pro season. Right. Manny Machado has been scouted more extensively before he signed. We've seen Gary Sanchez play extensively with a wood bat. We have not seen that out of Manny Machado. That's the big difference for me is that's the biggest. In a non-showcase, yeah. Right, setting. yeah. And that's the biggest thing to take a high school kid and put him in pro ball is you're taking him into that grind and you're taking him with a metal bat into a wood bat. And you can talk about evaluating you know, guys at these showcases or with a wood bat all you want when they're amateurs. It's just a different deal when they're professionals and they're facing real velocity. And we've seen well, that not, with not, Gary not, Sanchez not, not just, But like, here's the key thing. Not even just facing real velocity. Real because I was going to say, because showcase, you're going to see real velocity. You're but right. the reality of it is, is that the pitchers at showcases – no, really what you're looking at, you're not trying to set up a hitter as much as you are. You need to show that velocity. Right. I don't think guys are trying to set up hitters in the GCL either. They might be trying, but most of them they're don't trying. know They're trying. They're not. They don't know how. But, but just the quality of the play is but, so much But higher. the point I'm making, though, is it's that you're, you're going to see – showcase ball is a little bit of a different animal. No doubt. You're, no you're doubt throwing to the gun. You need to show – you need to show you can spin something. You're going to have a great weekend. Right. If you're a hitter or a pitcher. Whereas – when we're talking about, yeah. okay, when you go to the Midwest League or the South Atlantic League, it's not a matter of having a good inning. It's a matter of having a and, good month. And personally, I think it matters to perform well in the Gulf Coast League for, to an extent just because that's a very difficult environment to perform in. Right. Nobody's I there. think it's, you get bonus credit almost. Yeah, it's not, it's it not, it's Because we do. Perform, we will, you have to write it off somewhat if a guy doesn't perform in the GCL because the track record of guys who – failed in the GCL who went on to succeed right. is l- a very lengthy list. Absolutely. Chipper Jones is kind of the patron saint sure, of that. Sure. But at the same time, you don't then just say, well, let's disregard what he did when a guy is dominant in the GCL. And by the way, you mentioned Chipper. I'm going back on another, another tangent. But call up that 1991 Top 100, by the way, the year Chipper was drafted. That's one that we'd soon, just as soon forget. <laughs> um, Todd Van Floppel, as I like to call him. Todd Van Poppel. 14th overall pick, but he did get this crazy bonus that year. He's our number one. How about Andujar Cedeno at two? This will never happen again. I looked up, and I saw Andujar Cedeno in 1990, or 89, I think it was actually. Summer, he was in Asheville in the South Atlantic League. That's when I moved to Asheville. And uh, the next year, in 1990, he jumped from Asheville to A in the Southern League. And he had double figures and doubles, triples, home runs. He did not have double figures to stolen bases, JJ, because he went six for 16 <laughs> stealing bases. And this is something that will never happen. This is the this is where you have to give credit, where credit is due to the Bill Jameses and the people who think, okay, walks matter. And guys who strike out a lot more than they walk, it's harder for them to repeat their performance. And, I mean, Andrew Harsadeno had a big league career. They right. They Andrew Harsadeno. But look, we'll never rank a guy number two who had a 135 to 33 strikeout-to-walk ratio. It'll never, ever happen again. <laughs> he had a sub-300 on-base percentage that year. And that and is when they say – I mean, obviously, you and I were in college right. at that time. <laughs> we, we were reading Baseball America. Right. We weren't – I actually did not even know what the hell Baseball America was. I, I, was, a, I, was, I don't know if I was subscribing, awesome. but I was picking it up at the, uh, at the, the UGA bookstore every uh, – I was co- looking for the ACC basketball uh, equivalent, the poop sheet. That was my Baseball America back then. But – but we'll never do that again. But so. and that's what I, one thing I will say is is that I in that study uh, that that Scott McKinney did, yeah. one of the points is that is his prospect ranking better now than it was then. He said I don't see a whole lot of evidence of it in looking at 1990 to 2003. 
and that's interesting. Maybe that's true, but at the same time, we do know a whole lot more than – and that's not knocking you know, Alan and everyone who put together that 1991 right. list. There was a lot less information that had been disseminated at that point as that, far as understood. And that 91 – so those top two look bad, but look at the rest of that top ten. Uh, Ryan Klesko, Jose Offerman. Now, Roger Salkel got hurt, but Arthur Rhodes still active. Yvonne Rodriguez. Yeah, if Arthur had been on the list the year before, That's he would right. be the guy who's still kicking you know, around. Reggie Sanders. You had Bernie Williams down there at 11. Mo Vaughn was 10, who had a solid, and you I know. Missed, I missed because it was Maurice. Ra- Rondell White, Raul Mondesi. There are a lot of long career Tino guys. Martinez. And <laughs> That's a pretty good list. But you know, the top Royce two is wrong, but the rest of that list is pretty outstanding. Even Todd Van Poppel had a long major and, and career, a, and Andrew Harsadena got to the big leagues. And and to also be fair, um, you go to like 1993, which Chipper is not Jones, long, I believe. and it was Chipper Jones one, okay. Brian Taylor who was just about too ready to yeah. blow, you know, have his shoulder destroyed. Here's Cliff Floyd. Cliff Floyd, Carlos Delgado, Tim Salmon, Will Cordero, Todd Van Poppel again. We couldn't break that Todd Van Poppel. Will not die. But that top right there, Manny Ramirez 13. That. You could build a Hall of Fame wing out of uh, yeah, some of the guys. Yeah, that was right before his minor league player of the year season, by the way, in '93. So, yeah, I mean the track record's pretty good. We'll we'll, ta- we'll definitely stick our ta- stack our track record up. Uh, the only reason that you're even listening to this podcast, you know who we are. It wasn't because of any brilliant marketing campaign. I can guarantee you of that. It was because of uh, yeah, and, and, track record of and doing these if, things. Well. And if you're, we're looking on this, this is if you didn't know on our site. If you go on the drop downs, prospects, rankings, we have our all time top hundred on there. Uh, like Gotta make room for 2010. Yeah. Gotta stick 2010 on there now that uh, that's history. That's history now. It has uh, 2011 getting ready to, to take its place up at the top. Um, the last thing, JJ, just with the top 100, did you have a personal cheese ball? I have to ask. Trademark phrase of mine, obviously, but did you have any uh, personal cheese balls in your 150 who you didn't really even realize maybe because somebody was, uh, you were a lot higher on than everyone else was? We, we talked about Ruby. Oh, yeah, Ruby De La Rosa. I didn't I, I, there may have been a couple others, but that's one that just sticks out in my mind was Ruby De La Rosa. Like when we did the rankings, I think there was one person who didn't have him on his top 150. And, that's possible. And I think I, and I had him, I'm pretty sure, in my top 100. So that he was up, Well, he wound up in the top right, 100. Right. So, I won't yeah. say where, but he wound up in the top 100. Like I said, I think I was higher on the Yankees guys than most people were. Um, there was somebody, I wish I could remember, I wish I'd prepared for this podcast a little bit better. Preparation, huh? Yeah, that's not what I do. Um, but there were some that I had, um, like I, I, I got one ten or so. I don't think anyone else even voted for. And I'll have to tweet that out after the uh, podcast is over, because there was somebody who. Uh, but I don't, I don't want to like go all too well, personal cheese ball for the whole one fifty. I do think it's interesting that we each have our guys that we're going to look out for. Um, you know, like Ben Revere was a guy who I had in the top one hundred, who everyone voted for in their one fifty, but no, we didn't. He didn't have enough. Support again the top 100. And Ben Revere is another example. Um, ran, ran, I, know, I should probably guy. wrap this up, but he's a but, guy. but but he's also a point that it also is true. As guys move up, mm-hmm. I've had scouts tell me this, and it's true. As guys move up, warts become more apparent, and things that guys can do become almost expected. That's true. You're looking at your And Ben Revere more. is the example of that. In that Ben Revere is what he is. That's right. And what Ben Revere is is a guy who hit for average, who can run, steal some bases, steal some bases. Not the ideal profile though, because he's probably not a center fielder. You'd say, if he's a center fielder, you need a really good left and right fielder. Right. So That's probably more of a left. Yeah, probably. And if, if he's a left fielder, then you're saying, your, okay, well, if he's your center fielder. If he's in your starting outfield, your other two outfielders better hit for power, because you're going to have get no power. 
out of Ben Revere. Right. I mean, and and so, when he was drafted, and even in his first year, the Twins were saying, we think this guy doesn't have 40 or even maybe 50 power. And at that time, late, early in his career, you could give the Twins the benefit of the doubt on that. You really just can't do that anymore. But, the thing is, the Twins don't even say that anymore. And that's the thing is, is that a guy like that, so what happens is, is it's interesting, is, is a guy like that can almost kind of fall in the prospect rankings. As he's rising not the minor league because rival. he's not, he's failed to do essentially what he did all along. He's, right. he's the same player success-wise as a, he was when he showed up. He's a 60-hit-for-average guy. But the thing about it is, is that what happens is, is that as the years tick away, you start taking away projections that you could wish on yeah. with the guy go away. Unless the twins, I mean, like this for the twins, unless say Joe Benson comes up the big leagues for them the next couple of years and gives them a power hitting right fielder, and they would decide they want to move, um, you know, Denard Spain to left and install Ben Revere in center, they better be getting some real power. Luke Hughes better be their everyday second baseman hitting 15 to 20 bombs a year for that alignment to work. You just, I don't think the Twins, I don't think it works for them to have two of their three outfitters not hit for power. But I, and that's and where Ben Revere is. He's, and his best case scenario is Juan Pierre. And the thing about it is, is that that's the example, though, of, of as a guy moves up, yeah. you, you, you take more projection away, but you add certainty. So that's why more of the floor guys who are going to make it are going to be – because when Ben Revere was breaking in, he was more of a ceiling guy. Yeah, no doubt, because you were hope you were believing in at least that – that 40-ish power. And, and here's and the reality is, is that another guy in the twin system, you talk about Aaron Hicks. Aaron Hicks is, the, the time is ticking on that. You can, I think so. You can only project that this incredible athlete is going to be an impact player for so long. At some point, you have to start seeing the impact come along a little more. This is a pretty big year for him, and it's always you know, you're putting these expectations on a guy. He's going to play in the Florida State League in a big league spring training park where you can't expect him to put up big power numbers. And the main thing is to see him get off to a good start, not that one for 30 bull he gave you last year. Get off to a good start at Fort Myers and see if he can earn a promotion at midseason and kind of get kick-started back to where you're starting to be able to project him as a star again as opposed to more of an everyday regular. Because right now he's looking more like a everyday regular with some flashes um, because you know there are not too many stars who repeat a low Class A. That, that track record is small in, in today's baseball. But that was a longish podcast, and I mean to go that And long, I was going to say, and, and next week will probably be long again. We'll warn you all because we're going to be talking top 100. It could be. And like you said, we'll have, we'll have chats, podcasts. We'll probably tweet. Uh, we'll, we just should release the top 100 one tweet at a time. Jason. No. I don't think that'll no. work. But uh, thank you for joining us here on the podcast. We're brought to you, as always, by MLB Network. You can go to BaseballAmerica.com store with the, our MLB Network offer. That's four issues for four bucks. I'd say now's a good time to subscribe. Top 100, Major League Preview, Minor League Preview. I believe our opening day roster issue is the one after that. So uh, now's a good time to subscribe, as any, to Baseball America magazine. For J.J. Cooper, I'm John Manuel. We'll see you next time on the Baseball America podcast. So long, everybody. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice-cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know the bigger the fight better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois.